When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The year is 1988. Following his mother's death, a young Peter Quill is abducted from Earth by a group of alien thieves and smugglers. Fast forward 26 years to 2014, when he lands on the abandoned planet Morag. He's there to steal a mysterious orb, but before he takes a single step, he puts on a pair of headphones and hits play. As Peter Quill dances to Redbone's Come and Get Your Love, we notice the device he's listening to. I'm sure you've realized I'm describing the opening to the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. And those paying close attention will recognize the distinctive silver and blue item that Quill used in that scene. And spoiler alert, that is what I'm here to talk about. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast about a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connect it. On today's dizzying journey, I take you back to a moment that changed the way we listen to music forever. This is The Birth of the Walkman. No matter what way you choose to listen to music today, phone, iPod, or any other portable listening device, the Walkman started it all. Invented in Japan in 1979, it was first known as the Soundabout when it arrived on American shores in June of 1980. Up to this point, music was a community experience. Families huddled around cabinet-sized radios when they were shocked by Orson Welles' The War of the Worlds. Teens blasted music from vehicles, played their favorite selection from a jukebox, or socked hop to transistor radios like in American graffiti. Then, in the late 70s, break dancers popped and locked to the beats coming from a boombox. But it wasn't until the Walkman that music could be silent to everyone but the listener. And it was something that stood out to Yasuo Kuroki, who wrote in his memoirs, quote, Everyone knows what headphones sound like today, but at the same time, you couldn't even imagine it. And then, suddenly Beethoven's fifth is hammering between your ears, unquote. The Walkman was first created because Sony co-founder Masuro Ubuka wanted to be able to listen to music on long flights, so he would use the TCD5 cassette recorder for this purpose. The problem with it was that it was really bulky and it wasn't ideal for carrying it around. So he asked Executive Deputy President Norio Oga to design a smaller device that was only meant for playback. He also wanted stereo sound to better enjoy music, and he wanted all of this to be listened to on headphones. The first prototype was built from a modified Sony Pressman, which was a mono cassette recorder. This became the initial incarnation of the Walkman, called the TPS-L2, and it became the world's first 
low-cost portable stereo. If you remember that scene from Guardians of the Galaxy I mentioned at the top of the episode, then you'll remember the TPS-L2's look because that's the one that Peter Quill uses to play his awesome Mix Volume 1 tape. It was originally released in Japan on July 1st, 1979 and sold for close to 40,000 yen. At the time, this was the equivalent of around 150 US dollars and if you adjust for inflation, it was the equivalent of nearly $500. That's a big chunk of change and I had no idea they went for that price. But this technology was revolutionary and kind of a steal when you think about it. Yet according to an article in the New Yorker, it seems that Sony's chairman at the time, Akio Morita, was so unsure of the device's prospects that he ordered a manufacturing run of only 30,000 a drop in the bucket for the company responsible for manufacturing the established Trinitron TV. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, Sony dominated the decade when it came to technology. And at first, Morita seemed right to be cautious. The Walkman debuted in Japan to near silence. But as word spread about a strange new device that allowed you to carry a soundtrack out of your bedroom, so did sales and the need for a new name. You see, at the time, it was called the Pressman or the TPS-L2 in Japan. But as Sony prepared to launch it in America in June 1980, it needed a more descriptive name. Which is how the name Soundabout came to be. The next possible name was the Stowaway for countries like the UK, but this obviously presented a problem. It's hard to market and advertise something that has various names in different countries. Sony actually had a tough time finding a universal name that wasn't trademarked worldwide, and it took them a lot of time and a lot of money. So they went back to their original name, the Pressman, with one small change. They swapped out Press for Walk, and with that, the Walkman was born. And by the end of its first year in production, Sony would produce and sell 2 million of them. But in the process, Sony had two hurdles to jump. First, they had to introduce customers to this incredible new technology. And then they wanted to showcase the concept of miniaturization. The Walkman was like taking your giant home stereo and shrinking it down into something that could fit in your hand. While the Walkman was far smaller and lighter than any tape deck before it, it was still stubbornly large. Sony engineers, although wizards of miniaturization, were still limited by the technology of the day, so they couldn't get their portable stereo down to anything smaller than the size of a paperback book. It was too big for a pocket, so customers had to carry it or sling it with their included belt holster. Even stranger were the Walkman's headphone ports, that's plural, and a built-in microphone. The Walkman was initially designed to be used in tandem. A, quote, hotline button paused the music and activated the mic, letting two users chat even with headphones on. 
According to an article in The New Yorker, this specification was insisted upon by Sony's chairman, Akio Morita, who had irritated his wife by not being able to conduct a conversation while testing early prototypes at home. He recognized the isolating nature of the Walkman, and for users, that was the whole point. Susan Blonde, a vice president at CBS Records, told the Washington Post in 1981, With the advent of the Sony Walkman came the end of meeting people. It's like a drug. You put the Walkman on and you blot out the rest of the world. Unquote. And this was a primary way of advertising the Walkman to consumers. The Sony Walkman is a tiny stereo cassette player with truly incredible sound. Put on a Walkman and see the world in a whole new light. The Walkman from Sony, the one and only. Sony focused on the idea that this was a music revolution, as now you could take your own custom music anywhere you went. From mixtapes to multiple cassettes, you had a ton of options everywhere you went. And you could listen privately. Perfect for when I didn't want anyone to know I was listening to Wham. At the time, this was pretty revolutionary advertising. They were promoting this high technology, which seemed amazing to everyone, but at the same time, making it seem like it was made for an individual. Sony hit mass marketing new technology and personal differentiation at the same time. In America, the Walkman actually had a disappointing first month of sales, but then the advertising campaign kicked into full steam and they were off to the races. They also had a massive impact on the sale of cassette tapes. By 1983, cassettes started to outsell vinyl for the first time ever. Trying to get into the portable music game, competitors like Toshiba and Panasonic also flooded the market with their own versions. All of this listening to music in isolation had a very surprising outcome, and it changed human interaction forever. It became known as the Walkman Effect. First coined in 1984 by Professor Shuhei Hosokawa from the International Research Center for Japanese Studies, it refers to the way music is listened to via headphones that allows the user to gain more control over their environment. As I mentioned, the initial Walkman marketing campaign showcased the freedom it brought. Hosokawa pointed out that this ability to listen to music and do something else is making those experiences more pleasurable. The Walkman, he says, is the, quote, autonomy of the walking self, unquote. Years later, after the advent of the iPod, University of Sussex professor Michael Bull said that a personal stereo changes the way its user processes the world, allowing for greater confidence and control over personal experiences in space and time. From an interview in Wired, he said, quote, People like to control their environment, and the iPod is the perfect way to manage your experience. Music is the most powerful medium for thought, mood, and movement control." Unquote. Bull describes how music empowers the listener because music is able to inhabit the space in which they move, and controlling one's own space 
is the power of the Walkman effect. Professor Hosokawa saw the appeal of personal experience management to be strongest in cities. The very nature of an urban environment is such that the potential for chance encounters and unpredictable human interactions is omnipresent. Whereas someone's attention is fair game while simply walking down the street or riding on the subway, one can appear busy and engaged when doing these activities while listening to music, making any attempt at communication effectively an interruption. Those who might otherwise be willing to interrupt may be further deterred by the fact that there's a good chance they won't even be heard, rendering their effort futile or embarrassing. Even if the interrupter is heard, it's easy for the listener to act as if they weren't. Headphones enable listeners to float through public areas in a protective bubble, actively tuning in or out who or what they want. This, however, led to controversy. The Walkman was the first of a long line of mobile devices to attract criticism for isolating its users, promoting narcissism, detachment, and rude behavior, while at the same time preventing interactions that are the basis for traditional place-based communities. In his phenomenological analysis of this effect, Rainier Schoenhammer says that wearing headphones violates, quote, an unwritten law of interpersonal reciprocity, the certainty of common central presence in shared situations, unquote, like wearing sunglasses. Also, Professor Hosokawa said Walkman users blatantly confess that they have a secret, something that you can't hear, which can cause negative feelings in observers. Both men, however, make an effort to counter negative accusations of detachment, isolation, and narcissism. Perhaps, most importantly, Walkman listeners are generally happier, more confident, and calmer. Daily life could now be like a movie, as you had a soundtrack everywhere you went. Having music while out in the real world emotionalized life. This is normal for us today, but the 80s was a brand new era where the soundtracks of our lives went everywhere we did. Because of this, the impact and influence of the Walkman cannot be understated. It may be the one object that can best define the 1980s. Everyone had one or some form of one at some point, with over 385 million of them sold. The Walkman was now an established part of pop culture. In 1986, the word Walkman entered the Oxford English Dictionary. The Walkman was everywhere in real life and on our TV and movie screens. Marty McFly would put headphones on a sleeping George McFly to blast some Eddie Van Halen as he posed as Darth Vader in Back to the Future. In Ghostbusters 2, the squad rides the Statue of Liberty through New York after patching a Walkman through the PA to blast the song higher and higher throughout the city. Andy Warhol would use one as he walked the busy streets of Manhattan. Warhol said how, quote, it's nice to hear Pavarotti instead of car horns, unquote. This is 1981, and Warhol had just got back from Paris where he noticed everyone was wearing a Walkman. Also in 1981, Paul Simon even wore one to that year's Grammy Awards. Even dentists would put headphones on patients so they could stay calm by listening to their favorite music. It might also surprise you to know that Walkmans were still being manufactured up until 12 years ago. 
In fact, they were finally discontinued on October 23rd, 2010. And by then, the Walkman had already revolutionized something else. How we worked out. This is something that never occurred to me until I began researching this and makes total sense now when you think about it. I've worked in the fitness industry for a long time and I've spent a lot of time in the gym. If you like to work out, can you even picture yourself doing it without music? I know I've forgotten my headphones and just left the gym because I don't think I could work out without music. When the Walkman first hit, so did a boom in fitness in the 80s, and millions started using the Walkman to exercise. From 1987 to 1997, the number of people who said they started walking for exercise increased by 30%. This is the reason Sony created the iconic yellow sports Walkman in 1984. If you were doing any serious running or aerobic dancing, all that jerking and jostling would make the tape sound wobbly. To fix this problem, they released the highlighter yellow Sony Sports Walkman, which held up to rugged outdoor activity with rubber openings and waterproof controls. You'll remember a version of this being in the movie Pretty Woman, in which Julia Roberts sings in the tub surrounded by bubbles until she's caught and submerges. To be honest, her Walkman probably wouldn't have survived. What helped propel the Yellow Sports Walkman was again a great advertising campaign and its ability to stand out as the must-have accessory. Electronics companies have always had smart ways to create buzz by getting it out there to the public. When you saw someone using one on subways in major cities like New York and London, it created a desire in other people who were witnessing this new must-have item in real time. It was the perfect form of advertising and didn't cost the company a cent. The Walkman instantly entrenched itself in daily life as a convenient personal music delivery device. Within a few years of its global launch, it emerged as a status symbol and fashion statement in and of itself. I mentioned Andy Warhol seeing them all over Paris. They were also a common sight in the first class and business sections of airplanes. Boutiques like Bloomingdale's had months-long waiting lists of eager customers. Once people saw others out for a jog with that yellow Walkman in their hands and those yellow headphones in their ears, the rest was history. Hopefully, this has been a good trip down memory lane for you to remember this iconic device from the 80s. It led the way for the Disman, the MP3 player, the iPod, and to the iPhone or Android that you may be listening to this on right now. And that's why the Walkman is a definitive part of everything 80s. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time checking us out and you like what you heard, please jump back in the DeLorean and go back. There's tons of other great episodes for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. Everything 80s is written and produced by me, Jamie Logie, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. And if you're in a position to support the show, you can join Patreon.com. That's a platform to get bonus audio content. 
So just head to patreon.com slash 80s, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s to learn more, or you can click on the link in the description. Until next time, I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s. Everything 80s.